Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBAAFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age. This is an amazing podcast of senior-led, insightful, brilliant, creative people. Today we're celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, which is tomorrow. And our topics, among other things that you might have on your mind, are servant leadership and what is the benevolent community. Mm-hmm. And I am in birthday fashion going oh, to yes. um, try to do a screen share. I have my screen share thing disappeared. Ooh. Or while you're still looking, Charlotte, maybe we can do a, a round of introductions. And mm. That's in wonderful. the meantime, maybe <laughs> uh, <laughs> the miracle will happen. <laughs> Yes, that would be great to do the introductions. We can start with you. (laughs) I know it's 14 days after New Year, but Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, I haven't seen your faces for months, I think. No, (laughs) since last year. year. Seems so long ago. I've missed you. A year ago. I... My name is Robin, and uh, I have been involved in the podcast for uh, for a little while as a, a mentor and a contributor and a facilitator. And uh, as I said, I'm I'm happy to to be able to take part today and to see all your faces this new year. And I'll pass to Leslie. Hi, I'm Leslie Hebert, and I live in New Westminster. I am an ESL teacher. I teach English as a second language online. I am also a writer. I write short stories, travel stories, poetry. I'm currently working on a travel memoir of a trip I took to Japan a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I will pass to Neil. Hey, good morning, folks. My name is Neil Ryan. I live in... Uh, West Burnaby. Uh, I'm looking at the Fraser River out the window, and so I'm really close to New West. Um, I have some news to share, and it'll only take a minute, but I know you've all seen this book before. How do I get it up on the screen? Oh, yeah. But this is the first copy of my new Westwood Books Print, printed, and it's absolutely beautiful. Awesome. It, yeah. it, it, it Very is, nice. It's got new poetry in it. It's got uh, so some of my previous books did not include the, the short story called The Trial. But, but what's really beautiful about it is, is that it's easy to open to the poetry. And every version I've had, except for the ring one, have been bound so tight that it, it was hard. But it's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes & Noble. It's uh, uh, available on on another one whose name I can't remember. But anyway, we're up to speed. It's on uh, Amazon.com. For four dollars U.S., but the shipping is will 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 kill it for Canadian customers. But it's being it's on Amazon.ca, um, but you have to hunt for it because there's an old version that's there and uh, the new version. I don't know how to get it to get rid of the old one, but we'll, mm. we're working on it. But I am. St- you know, for the first time, I realize I have a published book. 
That's it awesome. It is absolutely yeah. awesome. Awesome. I tell you, honestly. Such a sense of accomplishment. Congratulations. Yeah. I know you were working yeah. and working on it day and night. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very satisfactory, eh? Very satisfying. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I'll pass it to Chris. So I'm Chris Morrissey, and I hang out in East Van, um, just a block or two off the drive. And I generally participate in uh, Britannia Community Centre when there was no prior to COVID. Uh, and I'm part of a writing and imaging group called Quirky Queer Imaging and Writing for Elders. Um, yeah, so that's me currently. I'm in um, Holy Family Hospital uh, in rehab, uh, learning learning how to learning how to get around with uh, with one leg. So uh, I'm. I'm in a, a steep learning curve at the moment. Yeah. So I shall pass it on to Gail. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Gail Harwood, and I live in uh, East Van. Uh, and uh, because I'm uh, going through uh, chemo, I've got one more treatment left to go. Uh, I'm staying with friends in uh, Kitsilano. Uh, and uh, now I've uh, got the Oompha uh, and the gumption to... Um, I have to go down to the Vietnamese store uh, that sells all the good, all, all the um, greens, etc., and buy a bunch of beet leaves to make holup chi for uh, my friends. Mm. And I'm trying to think of a protein because I'll do it uh, Eastern Ukrainian style uh, vegetarian, which is nice. But I'll, I'll think of something else too. So, um, and I belong to 411 Seniors. And uh, when I'm feeling a lot better, I write. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's me for today. And ha happy uh, Martin Luther King Day. Oh, thank that's you. for tomorrow, yeah? Uh, Elizabeth? Hi. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Wu. I am from Southern California. And I uh, am one of the leaders of the Agape Wise Ones. And we are a group of 50 plus uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, it's a ministry under the Agape Spiritual International Center. And we are there to really encourage each other to be whoever we we are to be and to be a better version of what we have been. So that's what we're about. And that's where I am most involved at this time. And she's also a poet, a dancer, and a creative writer. So you have to watch what you say and imagine on this call because she'll write don't, it into don't, don't an listen adventure. To her. Don't listen to her. <laughs> At some point, we, we will have, she wrote a script for uh, a fashion show. And through the fashion show, it told about three generations of people uh, traveling and interacting with the grandchild, the spouse, and so forth, and changes in uh, location got it postponed. So we are just visioning that coming alive and now you have more people to That's pull true. from in your story. That's and, Thank you. Thank you. I, I think maybe we may resurrect that in the future. That's a good idea. I haven't even given that thought. Uh, I am Charlotte's sister C. Farrell. I'm a host for this group but also a poet um, independent filmmaker and a rabble bowser. <laughs> And I am especially happy to talk about the, well, that's not all we're talking about today, but just my particular reflections on Dr. Martin Luther King was the civil rights movement in 56, I was 10 years old, and members of the Southern Christian Leadership Council who Dr. 
King was the head of, they came to our church uh, as they were beginning and having these uh, nonviolent movements and demonstrations and meeting dogs and fire hoses and all types of things. They were going about, had people going to churches all across the country, helping people to understand how to lock arms, how to sing the strength of numbers. So while some people really criticize the ridiculousness of nonviolence while meeting these really extremely violent people, I realized it built a great strength because when you had that thing of locking your arms with another people's arms um, and feeling just the power of your uh, resoluteness to get change, it really is a greater force against you know, the, the force of violence, because the ugliness of what was being portrayed were one of the things that helped with the push of getting uh, the civil rights legislation. It also brings uh, kind of a, attention to what's happening in, in uh, America right now, the lack of, of, of uh, servant leadership. And so I, I wanted to kind of elicit people's thoughts about what is servant le leadership, because we have come to some places in times where people just want, they want the title, the leader, <laughs> they want the power of leadership, but actually serving the people is some places getting lost. But I also saw a contrast in um, the young lady that I interviewed for my show tomorrow. It's a woman who wrote up from India, Canadian, um, Indian uh, poet, Ethno-Canadian. thinking like all of us, we're hyphenated, multi-hyphenated Canadians. But uh, she wrote a poem, I Stand with Farmers, and just with that idea of, of our stand, what is our stand, uh, and how do we lead from whatever positions or place we're in. So without more belaboring that topic, I'll just open it to whomever has something that they have an insight or thought about with regard to servant leadership. Has, uh, has anybody read Lynn McTaggart? I haven't. She is... Uh, written a number of books, one of which that I, I, I've read is The Power of Eight, where she gets eight people together in a group, and they all prayer for healing for whatever's going on. And I'm joining the group on Sunday that, um, and there's about 100,000 people that are connected to it, and, and it's a uh, to change the energy in Washington to uh, a more loving, compassionate energy. And um, Lynn McTaggart is, um, in fact, I've got her up on my other screen. And, and uh, she also does uh, uh, prayer energy for individuals that you send in uh, uh, a request for individuals to be healed that you know, and uh, I was going to nominate uh, that that uh, Gail uh, is is healed. Uh, if you can get a group of eight people that are lovingly thinking, uh, and it, and 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 it, it's only a ten minute event, but it's ten minutes. But but the one on Sunday. I don't have the details yet, but I know that there's a, it's not a group of eight. There's a, already 100,000 people are signed up for it. And um, uh, Lynn McTaggart has done some amazing things with putting groups together for prayer. So um, I, I would, I would, uh, I would. I'll have a separate conversation with you later, Gail, uh, uh, about what the, the the what and when. So, uh, but anyway, that the the point that I'm trying to make so eloquently is that there's a bunch of people are going to be on Sunday at a specific time. They're going to be praying for a more loving and compassionate uh, energy in Washington. And um, I think I, I, I've got 
I've got dozens of confirmations of how it actually works. They 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 did a group meeting when uh, on on Chicago for a weekend, and the the number of killings was reduced by like forty five fifty percent just with with because hey listen it's all energy. It, if you read one of the poems in my book, and it's called it's it's all energy, it's all vibration, and so. You get a hundred thousand people together that are vibrating love and energy. That energy's got to go somewhere. So, I just if, if Lynn McTaggart, her the book that I know about is called The Power of Eight, and it's getting together eight people as a as a as a as a little prayer pod, uh, and 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 focusing on healing. Somebody's it mostly focuses on illness, but but I understand that there's also relationship healing and uh, and uh, anyway I, I I'll shut up but but uh, I'm doing the there's three people that I'll be healing that I'll be praying for on Sunday and and then in the afternoon there's this this uh, healing America. Mm-hmm. I I have heard. I, in fact, I I have met her. I was in one, uh, a, a workshop she did, and some amazing story she she told us. Yeah. That by a group praying for an event happening in another country overseas in Europe, they were able to affect the outcome. Of that yeah. 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 I took part in an event that Keith Varnum, who is in Sedona, uh, did around similar things around uh, the climate, around a change in the temperature, and just observation around the power of prayer, because that's one of the things that Dr. King as well, you know, talked about the power of prayer and even songs. But when people come together and they focus their attention at a time, a place, there's some people that have a practice that for uh, six minutes, like tithing six minutes out of every 60 minutes to focus on um, a particular thing like healing, a focus on ending a war, a focus on a specific person being healed, that those are things that people that participate in those groups have got, you know, very good stories. But, you know, that that power, there are people pay, praying for uh, a peaceful transition on the 20th uh, mm-hmm. and that in the first hundred days where mm-hmm. the incoming uh, president and vice president always have these goals. They have massive things that they want to see done with the pandemic, they have massive things they want to see done with getting people back to work and kids back to school. And more than just, uh, and that's where I'm getting again to that servant leadership and what's in a person's mind that leads when it's something broader. Do you think it's when it's something broader than oneself or something broader than just more money and power that it gives makes a, a leader more effective? Well, this is what I was going to comment on, because I think all leadership is servant. It's what you're serving. Mm -hmm. You know, um, leadership serves something. Um, Does it serve money? Does it serve power? Does it serve the community? Does it serve your constituents? Um, Does it serve the, the greater good? These, these, I think, are, are, questions about what and how we consider leadership and you know what we might consider um i don't know better leadership than other (laughs) leadership but you know it's 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 not like the the leadership that we see in our own political spheres um you know they're they're not without they're not without service. Uh, it's more a matter of who they're serving and what they're serving. 
and whether that is, you know, doing what they promised versus doing what is expected in some cases. You know, I think politics and leadership is, is well, especially political leadership is very complicated because, you know, there's powers outside of the person who wears the hat um, that have a lot of influence, but likewise in all kinds of leadership. So, yeah, that's what make, it makes me think of and, and sort of question is, is what does that leadership serving? Because all leadership is serving something. Yeah, I think when you talk about uh, what makes a great leader, I think great leaders have vision. And that vision would be something outside of themselves, something greater than themselves. And if they serve that vision, if they remain true to that vision, I think they can be, you know, honest, sincere, authentic. And, you know, people will empathize with that. People will recognize that. Gail, you've, I mean, uh, Chris, you've had experience in leading a lot of groups that are taking representation. Um, what, do, what do you think about the difference in just wearing the title or having the money or having the position and actually having a commitment to getting something done? I think if someone has a title and only a title and there's nothing behind that title in terms of um, what it represents that, that it's uh, it's for, for me it's it's quite hypocrisy um, I think the whole notion of uh, someone in a position of leadership means being able to uh, assist other assist people to achieve their goals not to be the one to take over and to 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 carry out people's goals i mean i i i see it much more on an individual level and on a small group level than i do on a on a political level um though i think it still applies in 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 the field of politics as well i mean politicians are elected to carry out the wishes of the people and unfortunately we go back to that old adage my dad used to quote constantly as lord acton says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and i think so often when we look at leadership that is no matter what the level whether it's political whether it's in community organizations i think it's so easy for people to fall into that trap and i'm i'm not quite sure um really what it is that helps people not to go there i mean we're talking about uh, dr martin luther king what was it about him that made him um, be be such a, a, an amazing leader and be able to motivate people um, to join in and and um, be involved in something that that was far beyond the the issues and the needs of one single person. Um, and and I think he's a prime example of, of amazing leadership. Um, because he was a spokesperson for a group of people, but he also was a member of that group and he he was with that group. He wasn't over and above them. And I think that's part of what happens in terms of leadership. When people get into leadership positions, they kind of forget where they came from. Um, and and so I, I think it's really important that a, a someone who's in that a leadership position maintain some humility and uh, and and reflect on what they're there for. I mean, if you talk about service, as I think Robin said, service to whom, for whom, serving what. Um, the phrase that comes to mind is serving God or Mammon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just uh, uh, it's one of those one of those kind of things, right? Who who are we there to serve? And, and so many times people get in leadership positions and end up serving themselves. Exactly, yeah. Ah, that reminds me of an old Bob Dylan song. 
um, you may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Mm -hmm. um, I have quite a lot of thoughts about um, the idea of service um, on the job and sometimes in, in leadership because uh, uh, sometimes when you're um, beavering away uh, working for the man, um, you are called on to um, uh, express your service in, in uh, leadership uh, to uh, guide people where uh, we all need to go. Um, I remember uh, in about my 12th year of teaching, um, because t teaching is a service, and it's uh, it and and uh, I had a young volunteer, um, and she was uh, you know she 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 was having a rough time with her life, and she was uh, concentrated on how many volunteer tickets do I get to uh, have a meal, and I said, well, here's the list here, but and she was going on and on with all this practical stuff, and she said, I don't know if I want to do this and. I don't know. And I said, you know what? If you concentrate on your students, if you know, if you understand who you're serving and how you're serving, then everything's going to come into place for you. And you will know if you're in the right, if you're in the right um, uh, profession. So it's very interesting. And so, you know, life went on and she ran her um, ESL group. And uh, about Christmas time, she she was uh, walking out of the center with uh, piles of presents in her hands. and went, wow. Uh, she said, I can't believe it. The students gave me all of this for Christmas. I went, well, that's what happens. <laughs> That's exactly, and, and it, it, it's a it, it was a, a gesture that was important to her. That it was a um, it was it was a visible uh, expression. But there are many many times uh, when I would come home or uh, be on break or whatever, and I think I'm getting paid for this, you know, <laughs> um, because I knew that that's where I should have been. In, in a capacity of a public servant. And um, a lot of people who haven't worked for the public service really don't understand that there is this ethic of serving the people. And students happened, happened to be the people I was serving. And they were number, number one for me. Number two were my colleagues and the union. And number three was the school board because they paid me. <laughs> um, so from, from um, just a sort of a, uh, God's body point of view, a person who's been on the job. Um, that's what I think that service is. And that's what I think that uh, public service is. Concentrate on who you're serving. has nothing to do with you. I was thinking of that, that line that Chris said of uh, power corrupts absolutely. That it's, it's, I don't think it's... It's a, it's seductive, but just watching um, what happened next door with the person that some people, you know, they, they loved when they had this TV show and they loved some of the things about the person and didn't take them seriously. They thought, you know, is this just a TV person? And, you know, he's just got this show, The Apprentice, and it's kind of entertaining. But then getting so much media attention actually gave that person more media attention than any of the other candidates that year and turned up becoming president. And there's something within that particular personality that just in love, being in love with the power to the point of just being blind to anything other than, than power. I think it's the, the worst. It, it'll probably become the, the icon of, of, of po absolute power corrupts absolutely because the, just that seduction of wanting so badly to stay in office that this person could tell people lies, get people to go out and do something that not only endangered their other lives but got other people killed, that it, it's a reminder, I think, of everyone at every level to when we are electing people or encouraging people to be in a leadership position 
also holding them accountable. You know, I think people need to have to have accountability partners or people that can pull their, you know, they say pull your pull your shirt tails or pull your your, your pull on you when you are getting out of bounds or out of line or you've lost touch because that office is an office of public service but so many people let the person forget that it really was about public service and not about them to the point that you know now we have this aberrant child running around with codes to nuclear bombs and no one took that other responsibility of reminding them what they were supposed to be doing with the position and the trust that they were given. Yeah, there's been a lot of enabling going on, but I also think there's a sort of a dichotomy that people that feel the need to get into positions of power, very often you've got to have an ego. You know, you've got to have a huge ego to think you can even consider doing something like that. So, um, you know, you've got the ego to think that you can actually attain to that position but the balance is you've also got to have that desire, you know, to serve the greater good. And I think sometimes the two are mutually exclusive. I don't know. So, what do you think, Elizabeth? Do you think it has to be exclusive? I love what I've been hearing. And I think all of that is, is true. To, and what, who comes to mind when you guys were talking about how did Martin Luther King I was able to mobilize all the masses. And it made me think about this skinny little man in, in India talking about mobilizing the masses. That's even before they had, you know, modern day communication. And I remember reading accounts where all these people would stand up and, and the British officer would hit them with the baton to get rid of them. And as soon as that one's gone, another one would stand up. And they knew what they were going to get. And this, this is all in the nonviolent response. To be able to motivate people to go to those lengths, I think it requires an inner conviction so large that that it permeates the masses so that 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 conviction become the part of the conviction of those individuals and i see it in in some faith leaders ministers who have such faith I certainly saw it in Martin Luther King. He was not above being fearful of his own mortality being ended, but he he stood firm on what he what he was standing for. Even in the moments when he it's like when Christ was on the cross saying you know, why have thou forsaken me? Kind of feeling. He's, he was still there, uh, urging and and encouraging his his lieutenants and supporting them in what they need to do. Uh, I think that's what it really, really takes. So this this rock solid type of conviction and faith. And then, of course, all the things that go on to, to be able to ex- express it and convey it and, and get people ignited with it. I don't know how it, Gandhi did it, but it's, it's like when you look back, he says, this, this skinny little man who has none of the charismatic things that we attribute to leaders, and he just is such a phenomenal task. Anyway, so when Martin Luther King talks about Gandhi being such a model in this in this movement for him, 
something something connected for him in a way that I did not understand until much, much later. And I think that's where those two had such great commonalities, is a deep, unshakable conviction. I think, you know, we are all linked by these boxes. <laughs> but what Ash saw as a, as a child and, and something that I think... Um, is a good picture for us was connection, the connectivity, because when you would see Dr. King, you would also see people from the Student Nonviolent Coalition. You saw people from A. Philip Randolph and the Sleeping Car Porters. You saw people from a number of movements who came in so that the cities, when he came to a city, there were already people there across different platforms. I think, you know, someone mentioned you have to go beyond just uh, – your own people, your own country. Uh, interviewing Sherry Dougal this morning, you know, that she was saying she was looking at something happening in, in India and that Canadian farmers protested in support of the Indian farmers, the removal of their subsidy. And I think that's one of the ways. It wasn't just his personality that got people sparked in different cities. It was a tremendous amount of organization. And to look at, that was before there were beepers <laughs> or whatever we had these things, all these stages we've gone to to having these phones. People called each other up. People got on the trains. They got on the buses. Uh, uh, being able to look at what happened in Georgia, that a pop, that it wasn't just one woman, but Stacy, uh, I've forgotten her last name right now, but she organized, called 800 thousand people so the mobilization that there were people inspired enough and just having a leader that didn't become all about themselves but that could keep pouring into the people and honoring their work and inspiring them it it shows that's still living now because of in that georgia election you have people that had never voted before that people would have said oh they never voted they're not going to vote again and to get millions of them to come out and vote and shift the balance of power in the senate that gives hope to other people that have got movements and things that they're working toward because it isn't about the one person but the one being able to you know link arms with other people and make everybody feel valued in the trip they're going on rather than it just being you know I, me, I, me, me. Uh, I think that's one of the qualities that, and he mentored people. We have a lot of people, you know, that within everything, different areas, didn't mentor anyone, but he mentored a lot of people so that there were people that could pick up and run with different things. You know, when he shifted to Ant from just civil rights or black rights to the anti-war movement. There are some people that dropped away because they thought, well, you should stay focused. But in believing in justice for everyone, um, he took on, he braved to go over into those other other areas. One of the, uh, there's a book that I read a long time ago that I may have already mentioned here that's called uh, The Wounded Healer. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the sort of the primary idea around that is in order to be in order to be a, a, a person who can support and and be part of the healing of someone else, one has to acknowledge that one is also wounded and that I I'm not perfect and that I have I have I have things that, I can identify with you. And so it becomes more a question of solidarity than I'm, I'm not, I, I can't be, a, I can't be a healer unless I also acknowledge my own woundedness. Um, because if I can acknowledge that, then I can, then I can find places where, um, where I also need someone else and, and need, um, need support from other people. So it doesn't put me above um, the people that I'm serving, if we want to use the model of service as we're talking about. It doesn't put me above them. It puts me on the same level with them because I can acknowledge that I am also one with them, with you, with them. And I think that's what that's what 
changes significantly the dynamic. One of the puzzles that I have, and, and I continue to have this, I mean, thinking about what we've seen in the last few days um, to in our neighbors to the south, those people are all convinced that they're right. Yes. And that's what, that's what I struggle with. I mean, I think I'm right too. <laughs> and I know what I think I'm right. I know it's not what they think is right. So that's, that's the puzzle for me sometimes. How do you, people, people for whatever reason coming out of their own experience have convictions that make them believe they're right. I mean, some of those people that we saw on television were absolutely convinced. They had conviction that they were right, that they were standing up for their rights. I mean, one of them said, nobody's going to help us. The courts don't help us. The police don't help us. So here we are, and we're taking this back for ourselves. So, so how, that's what I struggle with. How do, how do I know, how do I know that if um, what I think is the right way, uh, how, who, how do I come together with other people who think differently about the right way? And so in order to be, in order to be a, a, a leader or a servant, somehow, how do we bridge those how do we bridge those differences? And I don't have any answers, but it it, it kind of is something that always puzzle that always sits with me, um, because I have my beliefs and my convictions, and I know where they came from. But I also I also I also think that those other people have their beliefs and their convictions. I think they're wrongly placed, but but um, is it is it up to me to be the judge? And and how do we how do we work those things out? Um, and and so somebody who's a who's a, in a position of leadership, um, God help him, <laughs> really and truly. How how do we come to a place of being able to work together, to be together, to support each other? if we come from very differing points of view and very differing convictions. So, um, so it's a real puzzle to me. I mean, Martin Luther King um, had the leadership and people that had the same convictions and the same beliefs as him um, were, were with him or he was with them. But, uh, and eventually, well, I mean, it's, it still isn't, his his um, his beliefs and his principles are still not um, accepted generally in 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 the country that he was trying to bring about change. I mean, we saw that this week. So that's what my real cha- that's what my challenge is. How do we how do we how do we bridge those gaps? Um, and how does someone who is a leader bridge those gaps? Chris, I I, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I would like to suggest that that was Trump's job, was to bring to the surface the hidden disease that has killed Martin Luther King and and some boys that, that were buried in Georgia because they they were, uh, and that disease has got to be brought to the surface, and that was Trump's job, was to bring the insanity of the South, which, and I I, I did some research on sporting goods in Georgia at one point in time, and I ran big time into the, the, the small-time uh, city mayor that, uh, that uh, owns, uh, you know, uh, 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 owns his mayoralty because people pay him, and he paid people, and yada yada yada, all this stuff about, about, uh, you know, the 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 South is still living the Civil War, and uh, uh, what what Trump did was he brought that insanity to the surface. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that, that is important is you cannot heal a hidden disease 
you have to bring it to the surface and you have to then at that point in time and maybe when we make our prayers on on Sunday that uh, that we're going to give Joe Biden uh, some prayer to say, hey, you, you do your best to try and heal this because it's been around for 200 years, uh, I'm sorry, 100 and some odd years that the U.S. had this. The Civil War has never, never stopped in the South. But it predates, it actually predates the Civil War because when we go back, uh, Samuel Jackson is doing a series called Enslaved, and he goes back in the 14th century when people were being taken out of Africa and worked on sugar plantations in uh Central and South America, and that there was the Pope in 14th century actually wrote a decree that it was okay. People were absolved from being engaged in slavery because the people were not human. So we have to look at some of the seeds and roots that go into the mentality that, you know, the entitlement of being white or the entitlement of being non-Jewish or the entitlement of being non-black, that it goes back further than these 150 years in America. And, you know, when some of the things that they are unearthing with bringing up these ships from the bottom, uh, England portrayed a picture of that they were just invested in the slave trade and slaves was going on elsewhere. And they showed some of the ships that sank, they were on their way back to France and England with slaves. And so uh, this sense of that some human beings are better than other human beings is a sore festering at the bottom. And that's where, you know, the work is more than in America, that there has been this infection (laughs) worldwide that we have to heal of some people feeling that they're more entitled than others or that some people are less human than others. The United States of America was founded on war. And 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 from my perspective, the United States wants war. That's the you know it 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 it, it, it looked after its investments in Asia. It looked after its in, in the Middle East. Uh, but uh, but I I from my perspective, what I see is the the. The, the country, the biggest country in the world for, for advocating war is the United States of America. There's a, I, I think so, you know, when we look at the rise and fall of great civilizations, that every civilization at a point that they were great, you know, <laughs> as tiny as, 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 as Great Britain is, it ruled the world. And they had soldiers that, you know, they, they were at war to maintain a particular lifestyle in, in uh, India. We were talking about, so it, it's not just the, the people that came to and even settled in America. Those people were settled with people from other other parts of Europe that had these old notions. And so I think it's that that disease is what we need to work with globally it's 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 prominence right now is is appearing within the united states but it's an old old deeply embedded sickness and so now being shocked to say hey this is still alive uh then we can work with it and we could work with it across countries because it's not just america it's the place right now that it's become most virulent but it's also still happening globally there's a line in one of my poems that says i want peace what am i doing to engender peace what do i do on a daily basis what do i do to make peace happen oh there's a wonderful dance this uh oh what did i do oh my god did i knock it off I lost my screen. <laughs> I was going to say, on the internet, you can look up Sherry Dougal, D-U-G-G-A-L. She's a poet, activist, and a dancer, and she has a dance. She did a pandemic 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 dance, where she was movements through lifting particular things. But she also wrote a poem called I Stand with Farmers. And she makes this beautiful analogy of food as our mother. 
and looking at the ways of again what we as one could do and how we look after the ground, how we look after the people that raise our food, how we have a view different than just the stuff that we call up and have ordered to our house. And so it was with that kind of unfolding from appreciating everything that went into you're getting your piece of, of bread um, to all the people involved in it, kind of like Takna Han in mindfulness, when you develop a mindfulness around what went into what you 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 got was there's some things that were fair, some things that weren't fair, and being able to speak out and speak beyond just you know experiencing life. So, uh, but it's a beautiful the poem I stand with farmers is a beautiful way of connecting, and what she encouraged people to do is we have our own encounters with. Uh, our own imperfections, the things, ways we're not treating nature right, teaching ourselves right, thinking about others. As we have that encounter, we can discuss it with somebody else. I can say, hey, Chris, you know, I'm really bad. I, I waste our horrid toilet tissue. I do these things. I advocate for all of this, but, you know, I'm really, you know, keeping, I'm still using plastic bottles. But having these encounters on two to two, to up to, like you said, groups, the groups of eight that, these are some of the ways that we can get at finding the wound, our, our woundedness, and and healing it because it's it's it is uh, there's there's tentacles of this disease and tentacles of the sickness in all of us. But until we recognize it and deal with it, it's it's easy to see what the other people are doing. But as you ask, you know, where have I been inflicted or infected by this notion of entitlement and superiority? You know, people in America who say this is the bedrock of democracy and it's not. It, it hasn't it wasn't a democratic country at the time they wrote the constitution. The people that formed the constitution had slaves. You know, so we have to just kind of look back and not just see these people that are the worst examples of entitlement and delusion to seeing what role do we play in it. Because if we can feel where there's that part of us in ourselves, then we can help reach and find those parts that are in the people we're calling the crazy people now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think um, we certainly have very visible right now um, because of the events to the, to the south of us, we can see how how division what a divided what division does and how things pit people against each other. But I think it I think it that's we see that because it it's right there in front of us on the television and the news and everywhere we look uh, and everything we listen to. But I, the important thing is, like you were saying, uh, is is that it is it it also is here. Like the same kind of things happen in local organizations mm-hmm. where things fall apart because, for whatever reason, that there isn't an ability of the people to who are involved to kind of come together and work together to find uh, to find a common ground. So, I mean, I I, I agree with you, Charlotte, that that. Um, the only people that we have any control over is I only have control over me and I can only make the change at my changes according to my beliefs. But, but somehow or other, I feel frustrated because I, I, I can say that I, I try my best and I'm not perfect and I don't do all those things, but I'm still struggling with how, how, how do we come together? So, what does it take for each one of us to be able to acknowledge that this this is the part that I'm playing? This is where I feel entitled, um, and this is where that comes from. You know, um, because it, it because it, it it's gone from. I mean, you can see it in this huge big experience right now in the United States, but it it happens in. It happens in families. It happens in communities. I mean, they're talking in the in the states about families who aren't talking to each other mm-hmm. because they had different perspectives and in different places, right? So the the sort of the foundation of relationships has is 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 falling apart. Um, 
so it, it is, a, I mean, we see it in this huge global thing right now, but what I want to do is to try and bring it back into something that we have some ability to be engaged in because we're not, we're not above or beyond or outside of that. Um, it's easy to look and see what's happening there and to be able to say, well, this happened because yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I need to be able to, and I need to be able to deal with that in my own life and how do I live in a way that can that can work so that that doesn't happen in the small areas mm-hmm. around me, you know, so that it kind of can expand. Um, so, so I see what's happening down there as a as a as a as a as an example and as a model. But that if we're only looking at that uh, and seeing that, then we're losing this major opportunity to kind of reflect on. Where, how did that happen? Where did that come from? And how are we in our local place, in our, whether it's in our organizations or whatever, our families, how are we replicating those same kinds of things? Um, so, you know, it's, I guess it's easy for me to sit and watch the television <laughs> um, and pass judgment on, on, on others and what's happening. And I, and 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 it, what it brings to mind for me is how do I bring that home? Um, how do I bring that home to me, so that it 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 so that it isn't just something that's happening out there with yeah. other people too. Yeah, people. I think that's a really good point, Chris. I mean, it's so easy to be smug, right? Um, instead of looking at things that are happening on the world stage and think uh, the seeds are still here. So how do we stop the seeds from sprouting, I think, mm-hmm. is the question. Yeah, someone did a report um, on either the national, on the Proud Boys, and we were hearing about the Proud Boys in the States, mm-hmm. and that it actually was founded in, in Canada and mm. is operating here. And so some of the things that I think, I don't know whether it's paying more attention, how do we like the, the analogy of seeds, that they're weeds, you know, because mm. sometimes we have some image, like a lot of people have this great image of democracy and that we're great seeds of America. There's Canada and in the United States, we're great seeds of democracy. But that yet for some other people, it hasn't been democratic. We're, we keep saying, uh, I acknowledge that we are doing our work on the sacred, unceded lands of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Salem-Wattooth people. But are we, any of us, that say that hundreds of times, <laughs> helping? Bye-bye, Chris. Bye-bye, Chris. <laughs> helping to, uh, with any of those issues, we just... You know, we we say it. I mean, so does that give us a different consciousness about, you know, how do we not just say something and actually work to undo the places where, you know, our, our elements of democracy are tangled up? This was making me think about the idea of change. And I think regardless of what seat at the table you take up change is hard mm-hmm. you know we get very rooted in whatever is our way and and that part of what we see in the challenge of leadership I think is you know that idea of hope and inspiring hope for change but if that change threatens something that you hold very dearly or that is so part of your identity or, you know, not something that you understand fully or, I mean, there's a myriad of, of reasons why you might not engage with that change or agree with that change. Um, and even when you do agree with the change, change is hard. Um, and so, yeah, to me, there's there's some tension between how do we create a safety net that allows for change to occur 
and for those seeds of change to be planted and grow um, without sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, even though we need to get rid of the whole, the whole bloody way. <laughs> you know, it's really confounding, which has been brought up in a number of different iterations here. Um, but... Yeah, I know people, you know, some of, you know, part of the uh, the thinking behind this whole uh, save the vote movement in the States is freedom, right? You know, they're talking about their freedom. Well, your freedom only goes as far as my freedom. Your freedom does, you know, you don't have a right to infringe on my freedom. You know, so again, it's balance, you, know, you talk about the right to free speech. Is it the right to say anything? Mm-hmm. No. Right? I think one thing that gives me hope is that we are writers and speakers, and the influence that people who have written things, whether it's songs or poems or stories, have had effects on someone, whether it was a child at school. But being able to write is one write, speak, sing. Uh, so many people were brought together by songs of um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, songs mm-hmm. that uh, that a number of people wrote, you know, around healing songs. And they were the songs people, you know, so, all, so many gospel songs gave people the power to sit and face dogs or face adversity. So I think that that's one way in that feeling resolved in this, the, the skill and freedom we have to write, that we have some ways of helping to nurture along change uh, and inspire other people that have positive thoughts and to get some feedback. Because if no one says anything and we just say, oh, this is overwhelming, so much evil has been spewed out of the mm-hmm. waves. Uh, Facebook and Twitter's solution was to give a timeout. Because they, they they actually gave the president seven days. I thought they cut off his account entirely. It's like a seven-day timeout. Oh, is that all? I thought he was cut off altogether. It it said a seven-day timeout from whatever. They canceled one of the publications that, you know, spewed a lot of stuff. And some people wrote me angry things on my Facebook page saying, oh, you believe it's right that, that, that closing... The access these protesters had to express what they feel is like whatever. But they they said it was like burning the Bible. Like those we had the same mentality of people that burned uh, the Bible that burned. Uh, what's the guy from uh, Genesis? The person that talked about uh, how evolution. You know, they burned his books. <laughs> so. I, but I think that from this discipline and from being able to put things out there for people to read, it provides something for people to even argue about, you know, because children have had to learn certain people's poems. Uh, some churches have had Bible studies around books, even books that were opposite views. But I think that's one of the things that this particular group has is you know, as writers, there are things we can contribute. Writers, speakers, singers. Robin has got to go. <laughs> but thank you for joining in. Next week, next Hi, week, Robin. We, we're going to be looking at interviews. Interviews people have done of somebody. Three-minute or five-minute interviews, you use your Zoom room. So maybe you can mentor or inspire some people to do their interview. Oh. I'm happy to talk to to anybody about um, how I approach interviews if you're um, if you're wondering or if you want to reach out to me I'm I'm happy to have that conversation Elizabeth Jargon yeah thank you (laughs) thank you see you I gotta go too Okay, well, it's our going away time, so I, I, I always want to sing. Did anybody watch the Mickey Mouse Club? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my kids used to watch it. Not part of my cultural heritage, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
It's like we end with, and now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. Uh-huh. And then it would sing out Mickey Mouse. M-I-T-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Be well and get well soon, okay? Yes. Have a great session, Chris. I see you're saying you're about ready to go for a psychic session. That should be fun. A, a physio session. Oh. A physio <laughs> session. I'm the one that needs a psychic lesson. <laughs> a psychic physio. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Bye, Les. Oh. Bye-bye now. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Good to see you, Chris. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.